0: Alabama State Bar Rules of Professional Conduct Rule 7.2e requires the following language in all attorney communications. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the legal services performed by other lawyers. Welcome to Backstory Podcast. My name is Harry Still, Backwoods Southern Lawyer. My podnah, Paul Rip, is mysteriously out of town, but... Uh, my old friend Captain Rains Russian is joining us by phone from Houston, Texas. Um, That's right, I'm on the line. So, Rains, do you know how I knew you were one of mine when I met you? you How's used, that? You use the term of art Podna. So, <laughs> tell me what Podna means to you. Well, Podna
1: is a it's a it's a two way street down here. You know, Podna is a a local colloquialism pronunciation of partner. Uh, call, call it old west call it old south either one it works hey partner how are you and also a term that the local police used to use around me when i was young hey partner what you doing coming out of that window at two o'clock in the morning so uh it's an endearment and a entrustment either way and it's uh quite a some it's something that you wouldn't say to somebody you wasn't well acquainted with right
0: a friend you can trust absolutely okay so I guess we should talk uh, talk about and address the suspension of my security pass to the Bowen County Courthouse. Um
1: I'd like to know I'd like to know a lot about that. I've read just uh, what you sent me and uh spoke to some people in that region and I'm very very curious. So as to it, how this came about.
0: So the timing was a little suspicious um and you might consider it petty or retaliatory but the, the sheriff says he suspended my security pass when he was contacted by several high-ranking officials about my aggressive behavior towards them.
1: Uh-huh. What uh what what kind of a uh, you were aggressive towards somebody? What what did you do? Did you take a swing at somebody? Did you? What no, what happened?
0: I had conversations with several people and um in particular, well, I I don't I don't know exactly how to explain it, but I can go through a series of emails that, that I have here. And I think it kind of explains everything. So I wrote it. So after I went to the courthouse Monday morning and was told, and I don't know if you've seen the video on Facebook, but I was told that I was not allowed to enter without being searched. And
1: what, what video can, where can we see, where can I see that video? at? Uh,
0: backstory podcast. Um, I believe it's on, on our website
1: you got a video of them telling you that you have to be searched well they the told courthouse? me I
0: couldn't. they told me I couldn't come in and I backed up and recorded it on my phone and I said so what you're telling me is I cannot come in the courthouse even though I've followed the procedures and I have a, the pro- I paid the appropriate fee I have the card you're telling me it's been suspended can you tell me you know and they and they're just next and and I think I, I should explain this too and I and the guy in the video is a friend of mine the last time we had a podcast um if you there's a, there's three videos right now on our youtube page and one of them is a video of doodle making this chicken gumbo so guess who uh, i took the leftover chicken gumbo to <laughs> the guys at the front door at the courthouse <laughs> so i mean they didn't want to do it they they, they had orders and, and they had to do their job i understand that um but okay, I, please, I didn't want anybody to think that that those guys at the door were like some bad people or something
2: are, are the
1: are the people who now I'm uh, in the state of Texas here at the the Harris County, Houston, Texas, the Harris County Courthouse? They have Harris County Sheriff's deputies. They're not as bailiffs, but as courthouse security. Are these are these gentlemen you're talking to. Are they bailiffs or are they yeah. private security? Who, well, there,
0: there was a lawsuit about that a few years back, and. Um, where someone was a courthouse security officer, and uh, anyway, it's a little complicated. They work for the sheriff's department. Um, they do work for the sheriff's department. They do work for the sheriff's department. So anyway, okay. I, I wrote this the sheriff a letter on September 17th, and I'll say, Dear sheriff, I have the pleasure of re- requesting that you, re- you reinstate my courthouse security pass. I will not be able to perform my duties as prescribed by law if I'm not allowed to bring my digital devices into the courthouse, or at a minimum, I will be at a disadvantage to my fellow practitioners. These procedures for attorneys to make application, proper payment, and issuance of said ID or pass by your office was dictated by the courthouse security member, of which you are only one member, and it would seem to me that if a member of the bar were to have something revoked, It would be some kind of due process. I wish you would resign, but in the alternative, please reinstate my security pass. Yeah, That was probably pretty stupid.
1: That was a nice touch there at the end.
0: Well, thank you. Um, So I got a response email. It says, I'm in receipt of your letter dated September 17, 2019. I have submitted it for review by the courthouse security committee. So apparently their second fiddle. At the present time, you are allowed entrance into the courthouses. We have three of them. I, mm-hmm. That's why I have to buy new tires every three months. Um, with your digital devices, but you must pass through the security checkpoint. Coincidentally, a few, maybe an hour later, I was standing in my secretary's office, big picture window. I can see out and see who I was, what I was going on in the street. And um, the sheriff pulled up in front of my office. And so I walked out on the sidewalk and we had a conversation and I was a little taken aback by the conversation. So anyway, I responded to the sheriff just for clarification purposes. So I said, sheriff, it's my recollection of our conversation that we just had on the sidewalk accurate that the city attorney, the director of North and utilities, the mayor of the city of Baymanette and the police chief in Baymanette have made allegations that I acted erratically or aggressively towards them. Here is a copy of the open records request. As the head of law enforcement in the county, let me know if this blows your skirt up.
1: Harry, you didn't actually say blows your skirt up, did
0: you? I did. Marilyn Monroe uh-huh. blows your skirt up. Is that
1: a is that a legal term?
0: It's a. Uh, no, it's not. So, <laughs> this is a, a Alabama Open Records Act request. I sent it to Northbone Utilities, Custodian of Records, September 17, 2019. Dear Custodian of Records, under the Alabama Open Records Law, Section 361240, I'm requesting an opportunity to inspect or obtain copies of public the public records as follows. Number one, the vendor's lead deed between Northbone Utilities and the Mitchell Family Trust... For the purchase of two bungalows or houses at the Stillwood Country Club in Stapleton, Alabama. The appraisals that MBU board used to determine the price they should pay for said houses from the Mitchell Family Trust. Number three, a copy of the Statement of Economic interests of Mayor Robert Bob Wills where he discloses to the Ethics Commission that he, his wife, and their children are all beneficiaries of the Mitchell Family Trust. And further, any correspondence that discloses these conflicts of interest to the Attorney General of the state of Alabama who gave you an opinion <laughs> I can hear your dog, Rains. I'm turning it down. Um, who gave you an opinion based on a limited number of the pertinent facts. Um, I also asked for another statement of economic interest for another person. Um, then um, I asked for the Attorney General's opinion that they relied on to say that the transaction was legal. Any lease payments to any board members for any real estate that they owned or did own since they became members of the Board of Directors for North Bond Utilities? Um a list of any consultants who ever stayed in the house. And then seven, any deeds and purchase agreements related to Lot 514, Canterbury Subdivision, Phase 5, to include the purchase of the lot from Mr. Mitchell and Faulkner. Uh, that's F&M uh, Enterprises. They developed the subdivision, including the purchase price. A copy of the easement later recorded on said lot by NBU and the ultimate sales price and deed conveying the property to... NBU attorney, Mr. R. Scott Lewis, who is also the attorney for the Bowen County School Board, and he is also the city attorney for the city of Baymanette. If there are any fees for certain... Anyway, I don't want to get into all that. But I did uh, I did say, um, and I, I don't want to read you this part because it's just about paying fees and things. However, I would also like to request a waiver of all these fees in that the disclosure of the requested information is in the public interest and will contribute significantly to the public's understanding of these issues in the next episode of the Backstory Podcast, of production of Backwoods Media, LLC. This information is not being sought for commercial purposes. The statute requires a response in a reasonable period of time. If access to the records I'm requesting will take longer, please contact me with information about how I might expect the copies or the ability to inspect them. the, the documents that I've requested. If there's a denial, um, please cite each specific exemption you feel justifies the refusal to release the information and notify me of the appeals procedure available to me under the law. Thank you for considering my request. So that explains three of them, but we still don't have the police chief yet. So So I continue with my email to the sheriff. And here's an email to the DA detailing police harassment of the victim of a violent crime um, by this very office. Um, no one cares about her rights, especially the mayor, who lives three doors down from her, on, well, I won't say the street, but he lives three doors down from her. This may give you some insight as to why the mayor and police chief in may, in may have may say things about me that aren't necessarily true. I can't wait for the opportunity to speak with the courthouse security committee about this and the death of the confidential informant that you and your command staff did not disclose to the investigators and the timing of the suspension of my credentials on the Monday following the Friday podcast, a backstory podcast in which I chronicled the investigation. Um, So please let me know when we can get the committee together to discuss my behavior. So this is an email that I sent I guess it's seven, eight days ago now, September 11th. um, I sent this to the district attorney, and I say, Dear DA Wilters, I lived in a house at the corner of 6th and White Avenue in Baymanet, Alabama, until about a year ago. My neighbor was the victim of a violent crime. She was the wife of his father is Frank Burt, the recently defeated six-term county commissioner from District 1 that includes Baymanet, where my client lives. Commissioner Burt holds a vendor's lien deed to the property that he and his son executed before my client was married to him. I called Commissioner Burt back in the spring and told him that I had been hired by his daughter-in-law to get her divorce from his son, who was prosecuted and convicted by your office and the federal authorities. He served a year and a half in county custody for domestic violence of some sort um, against this woman. At the time of the call to Commissioner Burt, His son was serving out his federal prison sentence related to this incident under what I call the Steve Nodine Law, a person under the influence and possession of a firearm, for which he was serving a year and a half. I told Frank that I was going to be going to CT in the federal lockup in Alexandria, Louisiana, to attempt to get him to sign a divorce settlement agreement. You following me, Reigns? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Uh, So that she would... Uh, be gone and surrender the house prior to his release i also asked frank to provide her with some money so she could hire some movers and get her belongings off the property commissioner Burt told me that he was not going to get involved that he had told that girl that she could stay at the house as long as she was married to his son and that was all the goodwill he had for his son or this woman that he'd beaten i went to alexandria and i met with Apparently, no one had been to visit him in three years, and when he saw me, his first question was, is my daddy dead? I said, no, it's almost as bad, though. I'm here to facilitate a settlement agreement in your divorce from your wife. Uh, I should tell you about his appearance. His head was shaved, and where there should have been hair, there were prison tattoos. He also had, you know, the sleeves and all that, some of which I recognized to be prison gang affiliation. He confirmed this.
1: Do you remember which one?
0: I, I don't. I you know, I I, I don't keep up with such things. Um, he said he was a spotter for the group, and that they were uh, if the guards were coming, he would alert them when they were back there abusing homemade drugs. Something about smoking papers with bug spray on it doesn't sound very healthy. Um, he just he then goes into how what a despicable person his wife is, and uh, not knowing that. I'd been her neighbor for over a year and that besides the high grass and the junk cars he left in the yard, I'd never heard a peep out of her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so then he tells me about all the violence he and his new friends are going to do to the, to anyone who takes any of his stuff off the property. You, you get me? Uh, and yeah. then I, and there were some other things that I don't really want to get into about what happened there. So I returned to Bowen County and contacted the Fair Bureau of Prisons and asked for an address where I could serve Legal documents. They advised that he would be moving to a halfway house facility on the causeway here in Baldwin County. So I waited until he got there and I served him. He did not show up for the hearing. And our local judge gave my client a default, default judgment. Um, he had 30 days to set it aside. He did not. The order states that she has no ownership interest in the home and that she should surrender it on August 30th, 2019. You follow me so far? Yep. Okay. So, Friday is the 30th. On Monday the 25th, I got a frantic phone call from my client. She tells me that she went to clean out the mailbox and discovered a letter from Blackburn and Connor, stating that they had foreclosed on the house and that she had five days to be off the property. David Connor had signed the letter. I told her not to worry, that she had a legal order to be there through Friday. I called Blackburn and Connor immediately. They told me that David was not in and to which I said, you guys got four other lawyers. Somebody needs to call me back. It's important. Um, They'd done zero due diligence. All they had to do was run her name on Alicourt and they would have seen she was represented. And the fact that I told the person they were working for who foreclosed upon the house that there was going to be an action going on. It's just, it's, it's beyond explainable that they've, didn't know that she was represented, and in that in the, there, and that they didn't know that there was an order out there saying that she that she could stay. Um, I also thought the foreclosure was probably improper. They they could have done it, but I think they would have had to intervene in the divorce because the house was a, a part of the domestic relations dispute.
1: Harry, who were they acting on? On whose behalf were these lawyers acting?
0: Uh, Frank Burt, the commissioner, the what, he, the he, former he, commissioner
1: the former commissioner they were acting on his behalf right and i had told him
0: i had told him that i was gonna be trying to get her out of the house before his son got out of prison so that right. you know she he can never be within a thousand yards of her again w- what does right. it matter uh or why would he care um okay Was she
1: hiding at the home on the on monday the 25th
0: yes and uh so let me get on through this part. So anyway, um, I also thought the foreclosure may have been illegally done. Although after Friday, we had no reason to object to the foreclosure or the method it was done in. So long as my client was not being asked to pay any portion of the unpaid mortgage, you can understand my position there, right? Like we don't care. Judge, the judge had said it was debt before they were married. Um, so, and you
1: had, a, and you had a, a court order to vacate the premises by the 30th anyway.
0: Correct. So, when my client called me on Thursday, she tells me that the Baymanet Police Department had been at her home in force for about three hours. They had an anonymous tip from someone saying there might be people doing drugs on the property. I can tell Uh you, so I can tell because I lived on this block. I can tell you that this house and every other house on the block, save mine and Alan Vick's widow, all look like that because the city does zero code enforcement of their zoning laws. Okay. The Baymanet Police Department. what, What did they find at the house? Well, let me get through this first. They did not have a warrant, but they assured her that if that, that if she did not allow them on the property to search, they would have one in just a few minutes, and then she would be a suspect. So what do you think she did? She let them search the house. Uh-huh. So guess what? They find drugs, but they don't take anybody what? to jail. Why would they do that?
1: Was there anybody else there?
0: Um, When they got there, there were several people there helping her move, and when the <laughs> six... Police cars rolled up. Everybody just kind of, you know, disseminated.
1: Uh huh. So, the Baymanette Police Department, on behalf of a confidential tip of some sort, showed up with multiple officers without a search warrant to inspect a residence that was in the middle of a move out. Am I? I, correct could, so I
0: far? couldn't. I couldn't tell you why they showed up, but they said that it was because they got anonymous tip. So, on so so remember about the phone call I made on Monday? Uh-huh. Guess when he called me back?
1: Thursday afternoon?
0: Friday at 3 o'clock. So, on Friday, my old pal David Conner returns my call. Let's just say I was not pleasant. I then called Mayor Robert Wills and asked him to look in the matter. He stated to me in his law office on September 9, 2019, that it was not Frank Burt, David Conner, or... who made the anonymous call. He then asked me how my client was harmed by the actions of the department. To which I referred him to the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution of the United States. There doesn't have to be any damage for your constitutional rights to be violated. You get that right? Yeah. I know you're a newspaper man, but you're a smart one.
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. They had they had no business in that
0: home. So then, you know, this is addressed to the DA. So I say. So now I'm asking you, as the victim of violent crime, she was never notified that he was to be released. Obviously, he's being returned to society with all the skills and contact that only a federal prison stint can instill. Right. I want to know who made the anonymous call to the Baymanet Police Department um, acted, and why they acted upon it at this particular time, one day before uh, Ms. Burt was to be off the property. Every detective knows you aren't allowed to believe in coincidence, and I sure as heck do not, especially in this case. Frank Burt and Bob Wills have had a long-term symbiotic political relationship, and I'm sure you are aware of this. The reason that I'm so concerned is that the mayor lives three doors down and drives past the place four times a day. If he suspected drug use at the residence, why not tell the chief of police who works for him? And to make my point again, I will say that every other house from Hand Avenue to the cemetery and from 31 to 7th Street, every house looks like that people who live there probably are doing drugs because the city doesn't do any code enforcement. There's a dang camper in almost every driveway in this town, like a travel trailer camper. You know what I'm talking about? Uh A pullback. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, um... While we're talking about the Baymanet Police Department, another client's son was given a ticket for loitering in the parking lot next to McDonald's here in town. He was returning from a fishing trip, and he thought he had a flat tire on his trailer. He had a boat behind him. So he pulls over in the McDonald's parking lot to see what's going on. So he gets out, and he's back there, you know, checking his tires. A Baymanet police officer pulls up, gets out, tells him he needs his license because he's going to run him for warrants. So he's. it turns out it's not his tire. It was something like the fender well in in his truck. So he's over there fooling with that. The police officer comes back, hands him his license and a ticket. Guess what the ticket was for? He actually got a loitering ticket? He got a ticket for loitering, and this is what he said. The officer approached him again and said that they were under instructions from the chief of police to write tickets for loitering if anyone was hanging around the parking lot. So I conclude my email with saying, I hope you will look into these concerning matters. Thank you for your help. I certainly appreciate that this is a delicate matter and do not expect an answer in a few short days.
1: Well, let me, uh, let me just run this down so make sure that I understand it just right. In the last few weeks, you sent requests for information, clarification, and basically just a uh, Uh, tell me why this is sort of communications to the mayor's office of the city of Baymanette.
0: Well, let's back up. I made the, I I, I went, I I initially went to the mayor and I said, I sure hope that these three people aren't the ones that called in the confidential tip. Right. mm -hmm. And then he told me, you know, I don't know what the big deal is. How was she harmed? They didn't arrest her, that kind of thing. So that's okay, when I went to so the DA me, about it. That was seven or eight days ago, September eleventh, okay. So, all right, I got it. it I got it. So, so then let me, let
1: me let me run this down. Wait so a minute, then, let me stop. Okay. You. Let me run this down. So in the last spate of about thirty days, you've had interactions with the DA of Baldwin County, the mayor of Baymanette, the whoever's running the North Baldwin Utility Service. And I guess maybe, I guess you hadn't talked to the police chief, but you've definitely been asking questions about the way the police department's doing things, right? Certainly. So, since there's no such thing as coincidence, do these happen to be the same people that have made a complaint to the sheriff about you?
0: Well, let me back up now. After he told me who made the complaints... You gotta understand this. This was this was what I would consider a pre a pre a preemptive smear. Does that make sense? Not because really, of, because of, because I'm, I'm well, I never had any intention of talking about these bungalows again or these other issues. But you could understand where they would be thinking that a podcast like this would eventually get around to that. Do you see what I'm saying? Absolutely.
1: I, I okay. mean, we've, we've, we've discussed a few things. And, and in the last uh, podcast, you and Paul talked about the unfortunate demise of uh, a member of your client's family and, and how that was involved with the the investigation with the sheriff's department and everything else. And so you've been ruffling some feathers in Baldwin County and now you've gotten your courthouse courthouse access revoked True that Um, anybody else had their had their privileges revoked at the courthouse in recent memory is that board you were talking about the courthouse security commission have they ever issued any kind of writ against anybody that says they can't do that
0: not that I'm aware of but that doesn't mean it didn't happen I mean, I, people on the courthouse security committee would have to tell you that. And and so, just so you know, the courthouse security committee, um, at least my understanding of the committee is, it's the circuit clerk, the district attorney, and I I would think it would be the chairman of the county commission, um, the sheriff, and the presiding judge. And sometimes they throw in a citizen on there, but I don't know if we have one on ours. So those people will be hearing my dissertation and uh and making a decision
1: you're an officer of the court under the state bar rules is that correct
0: correct
1: and you have to be searched by order of the sheriff correct and the sheriff made this, and after your conversation with the sheriff, you're under the impression, and because I'm definitely under the impression, that the sheriff made that decision based on a number of complaints about your behavior.
0: That's what he told me, that I'd acted aggressively towards these people.
1: And these people are the people we've just been talking about. Correct. It certainly sounds like the beginning of some sort of retaliation against you. Harry, can you see that for what it is?
0: You can call it what you want to.
1: Well, it's definitely, I, I mean, I, I did a quick search, and I wasn't able to come up with much because Baldwin County apparently doesn't uh, upload these sort of this sort of information online, but I couldn't find any officers of the court in the last 30 years who had been sanctioned by the courthouse security committee or by the sheriff of Baldwin County.
0: like I said, I'm not on the committee. I don't even, I'm I'm sure they keep minutes. I haven't asked for them. It it really doesn't matter. I just want an opportunity to talk to these people who are colleagues of mine and friends of mine and tell them that these, these allegations are unfounded. So
1: it certainly, I'm not going to make any kind of diagnosis to your mental state because I mean, I, I keep, I I passed the peace pipe with you so many times. I'm in with you just as much as anybody else. So if you're nuts and so am I, but uh, this, uh, I, I don't really like the sound of it. And it sounds like somebody wants this to go away. Now, what, what possibly could these people benefit from somebody like you shutting up?
0: Well, they get to stay in the positions they're in that they've used for personal gain. Potentially, um, that's why Potentially. I asked for these documents. Yeah, we won't know right. till we get the documents, rains.
1: Well, these same documents. Uh, this, uh, it, it, this is involving that large. Property uh, no property purchase in Baldwin County. No, that's a different.
0: This is this is related to North Baldwin Utility. Well, let's say it's all related because when they bought when the county bought the mega site, the theory Mm -hmm. was we don't have anywhere nice enough in Baymenet for dignitaries coming to look at the three thousand parcel to stay. You know, a place nice enough for them to stay, and we didn't want them going to the Grand Hotel or ever to the Battle House in Mobile. So the theory was, well, heck, we'll just buy a couple of houses and have them available for anybody that would, you know was coming here to look at the mega site to stay in.
1: That absolutely reeks of graft. Okay, well, they didn't do
0: that. So, oh yeah, they did, and so, um, so they bought the property from the Mitchell Family Trust, and so the uh, we're going to upload the Attorney General's opinion that they submitted to um, uh, that they that they used for cover, and I'll just paraphrase it for you. Number one, can can we buy property for investment purposes? The answer to that was no. Question number two, can we buy property for use of our consultants or our employees? And they said yes. And they said when, when it's no longer convenient for us to own it, can we then sell it? And they say, said yes. So the pertinent things that the Attorney General should have known about was The question should have been, can we buy the property from a trust where the mayor and his family are beneficiaries of it? Second question, can we buy it from a trust where another member of the utility board is the trustee of the trust? They didn't ask those questions, and I think the answer would have been very different if they had. So
1: you're telling me that these these little houses that they bought,
0: they're not for, little. For the per- they're twenty four hundred oh, wow. square feet. Uh, they're just called bungalows because they're in this. Well, you can't even oh. get into Steelwood Range. They'd turn you away. They'd think you were there to clean a pool. They'd think I was there yeah. to fix a roof. So the so the
1: this this municip- this municipal organization bought these pieces at of at a property. golf
0: course that's not in Baymanette. It's in Stapleton.
1: That's not even in the city. No. For the purposes of economic development. Right? Correct. I mean, you call it, I mean, that's the umbrella that it falls under. Correct. They bought those from a trust where the mayor of the city and a member of the county commission were beneficiaries of some
0: sort? No, no, no. One of the board members was the mayor. Another board member was the trustee of the trust. So you know how trusteeship works. You benefit whenever anything is sold or when it comes in. You get a percentage
1: these guys were neck deep in that deal, and they didn't disclose that to the attorney general's office when they were seeking that opinion.
0: No. <laughs>
1: well, I mean, if you're going to do it, do it big. That's how that's how it's done down there. Apparently, it's uh, that just flies right under the radar, and. Has anybody mentioned
0: that in the media or... Oh, yeah. Lanyap did an article on it back a few years ago, and the explanation was we would never do anything wrong. And we have an attorney general's opinion saying we can do it.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: And like I said, when I read the article, I should have raised my hand and said, but wait a minute. But I didn't. So...
1: You're putting it out there that this absolutely graft lace arrangement is in place. I had and no intention
0: of putting this out there, Reigns, until the allegations were made. And so then I drafted the public, uh, whatever, you call it a FOIA. It's an open records re- request, right. technically, in Alabama. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll get our hands on it. We'll see what's really going on and what their motive really is.
1: And for the first time you're having to deal with blowback from that in the form of the sheriff making you susceptible to pat downs. I mean, it's, it's humiliating. You're an officer of the court.
0: And it's uh, it's, it's a pain taking your belt off. I mean, you, you've been through airport security. It's sure, a pain more a, than anything.
1: Uh, uh, I've been in a lot of courthouses where I've walked in there with a lot less than my belt on. And I'm I'm here to tell you, it is a pain and it's, it's it's a, a definite slight, and I know how things work down there. I grew up down in that neck of the woods. I know how these little differences and little uh, s- small effaces against etiquette and everything else can be seen as, as huge smears, but this is very petty, and uh, but definitely sounds like the tactic of sending you a message. I got it. Well, now that you got it, what are you going to do about it?
0: Well, I did what I could. I've asked the courthouse security committee to sit down with me and reinstate.
1: Well, is this in any way going to push you off of it at all? Are you you scared?
0: I'm sitting here talking about it, aren't I?
1: That's what I'm talking about. That's what I like to hear. Now, just make sure that you don't accidentally kill yourself by shooting yourself in the back of the
0: head. Hanging myself with a seatbelt. one day. Right. Hanging myself with a seatbelt. Right. Yeah, right.
1: make sure you don't hang yourself with a seatbelt anytime soon.
0: Wearing clip-on on ties God, these what a, days.
1: What a tragedy that would be.
0: So can we get to t- today's issue, please? Well, by all means. Okay, so we're going to queue up a little video. We we're We're using a new software program. We're trying to give you some more interactive stuff out there, so bear with us. Hit it. And I don't know if this is covering up my face or not, so I'm gonna sit out for a sec.
3: Sus, you are probably familiar with the mayor council or strong mayor form. Here, the people elect one politician, the mayor, to lead the community, hire staff, and oversee all day-to-day operations and service delivery. Having a single politician at the top of the structure has its disadvantages. The elected council is largely unable to effect change because the mayor is solely responsible for the budget and staffing. Political agendas can contaminate what should be transparent, ethical, and efficient service delivery. And it also leaves that go-to person more susceptible to the influence of special interest groups, leaving ordinary voters with less say about what goes on in their community. The council manager form of government was created to combat corruption and provide for the professional management of local governments. In the council manager form, the people elect a council, including a mayor, and they collectively create a vision for the community and set policy. The council then hires a non-political professional manager based on experience and credentials, who implements the council's policy and delivers services equitably. The manager remains accountable to the council, because if at any time the council decides that person is ineffective, they can vote to replace the manager. Having the entire elected council setting policy makes it difficult for special interest groups to influence policy. But the council manager form of government isn't just about curtailing corruption. It's about managing services in ways that get better results. An IBM report found that council manager cities are nearly 10% more efficient than mayor council cities. Historically, nearly two-thirds of US municipalities with Moody's AAA bond ratings are council manager, as are the majority of all America's city award recipients. So visit icma.org today to learn more about how your community can adopt or retain the council manager form of government.
0: Okay, just let me know. So, Reigns, the hill that I intend to die on, free speech. You follow me? I'm all for it. Yeah. So, what my old colleagues at the International City-County Managers Association did recently is what I consider to be absolutely indefensible. Um, If you live in a town where the cops are act professionally and the garbage is picked up on time, like clockwork, then you probably have a city manager where you live. If you don't, right. then I'm sorry, join the club. But good cities and counties actually require an ICMA credentialed manager or no need to apply. So all the top tier managers in the United States are ICMA members, typically. Um, and this is an ethics-based organization Um, that's why you want to work for a city that wants an ICMA manager. They're honest politicians looking for someone competent to run the the day-to-day operations. Wherever you live, if you have a problem and need a big brain, a good bet is to call the city manager's office. He's probably the smartest guy in the building. And, man, you have to be technically proficient to do that job. Um, You're also going into a situation where you don't know your boss's motives and you don't know which staff member thinks you stole their job i mean it's, it's just it's a really difficult situation reigns um and you go into this with your whole family in tow most people move you know at least across the state but but oftentimes interstate um and it's a most, tough, of
1: the, most of the city managers i've ever encountered have been from out of town
0: and, and another thing about being a manager, you have to be very self aware and you have to have very good interpersonal skills. So you're talking about a very minute section of the population that, you know, and, and they want to work in local governments, the other thing. Um, let's see, where are we here? So I see May, they've come out with a new guideline that in short states, you can't bully a trans person. And, Reigns, I know you and I are both what? for not bullying anybody. And um, you're going to have to go back and watch this. Can you cue the Reigns slideshow, the Ginger slideshow? So, you know, over the years, I have sent you texts and emails on Kick a Ginger Day. And I've asked yep. you to find someone to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Always what? something I can look forward to. <laughs> Always. But... Is it, you know, you could have fick a kick of Fat Lawyer Day. Uh, you know what I mean. It, that, at, like every day, Harry. Between you, well, it is recently. But, uh, but but you know, between you and I, it's a gaff. We have fun with it, right? Right. At what point does it become harassment or bullying? Is that just when it's in the workplace? You see what I'm getting at?
1: Well, I... I guess I'd ask. So this, this group, the, the, the ICMA, I mean, this is a big time business organization actually put in writing. Well,
0: let, let me, let me you get through
1: training or can you, can well, you explain that? In any let pieces? me, let me
0: get it a little into a little bit more, but that's where, that's where they're heading with this. Now, how they get there is unbelievable. So I called Mark Ott. He's the ICMA executive director. And it wasn't last week. It was two weeks ago, I think. Um, and ask him if this com- includes compelled speech. And his response was, Mr. Steele, this policy was adopted by the ICMA board and was supported by all of our membership. Yeah, they hadn't even thought about it is is what I'm telling you. When I called them, they were not prepared. Um, essentially your city, your county or city manager is having their credentials and even membership in ICMA held to ransom by what I'm calling the social justice warrior staff at ICMA. Um, we have another Jordan Peterson clip. You want to listen to that with us, Reigns?
1: Before we listen to that, I've got to clarify something. You're telling me that an important international organization has written somewhere we can't bully transsexuals. That sounds very specific. Is that in some kind of bylaw? Well, where, where does it say
0: that? We'll, we'll get there. Just it's, this is a slow. This is a stew, man. We got to, you know. We'll get there. Give me a sec. Right. And, and so we're going to listen to Doctor Peterson again.
2: Uh, go for it. Go on. Is being sensitive to offense such a problem though? Like we would have previously called that manners. It's a terrible problem. So imagine, you know, imagine you. Sp- Okay, so the rule is you can't offend anyone, all right? Let's say you're speaking to one person. I can't offend you. All right, fair enough. What if I'm speaking to 10 people? Do I get to offend one in 10? How about one in 100? How about one in 1,000? You're gonna come out on stage and you're gonna say something important about something vital, and you're not going to offend one person in 1,000? Well, you can't say anything about anything important ever without offending probably the person you're talking to. Important speech about important issues, especially contentious issues, is instantly offensive. But there are ways that you can share, I guess, um, provocative views, where you attempt to still do that with an air of, say, respectfulness, where you're trying to mitigate against the offensiveness. This is true, yeah. You can actually try listening when when you're having a conversation, right? Assuming that both people who are having the conversation are of goodwill, And they're not trying to play tricks and they're struggling towards the truth, which neither of them hold completely and both understand that. Yeah, you can reach across fairly large gaps and negotiate peace. Thank God for that. Or we'd be at each other's throats all the time. Well, say the example of there are some transgender people who want to not be referred to as he or she. They prefer to be called Z or they. Mm -hmm. Um, If somebody wants to be addressed like that, what does it cost me to do that? It's hard to tell because it, the devil's always in the details. But as far as I'm concerned, that's, that situation is—it's—it's it's not relevant to the issues. For example, that I was involved in, I didn't care if transgender people wanted to be called by some pronouns, like whatever. That's something for individuals to negotiate. When the when the government makes that a compulsion and insists in their legislation that biological sex, uh, gender identity, gender expression, and sexual proclivity very independently, it's like no. They ain't. That's wrong factually, and you're not going to compel my speech. I don't care what your damn justification is. So you see that as, am I right, in that you see that as a curtailing of freedom? It's worse than a curtailing of freedom. It's a demand that the population uses a certain kind of linguistic approach. It's, a, it's an appropriation of speech. There's no excuse for that. That never has happened once in the history of English common law, right? It's a barrier that we do not cross. Hate speech laws are bad enough. It's not like there's no hate speech, like anyone with any sense knows that there's hate speech. Who's gonna regulate it? Who's gonna define it? I know the answer to that. The last people in the world you would want to. And then we, we cross another barrier and we allow the government to compel speech for some hypothetically compassionate reason?
3: No way, that's a really bad idea.
2: Sounds like a
0: shrimp boat. That's better we good. All right. Technical difficulties, new, new software. So Reigns, on June 8th, the ICMA board of directors adopted the following guideline under tenant three on conduct unbecoming. And I'm going to read to you the entirety of tenant three, which sounds super fantastic. Tenant three, demonstrate by word and action the high standard of ethical conduct and integrity in all public, professional, and personal relationships in order that the member may merit the trust and respect of the elected and appointed officials, employees, and the public. So somehow that tenant gets stretched into conduct unbecoming. Members should treat people fairly with dignity and respect and should not engage or condone bullying behavior, harassment, sexual harassment, or discrimination on the basis of race, religion, national origin, age, disability, gender, gender identity, or sexual orientation. So so does that clear the air for you? You, you understand what, okay. they, what they did?
1: So this international organization has added a bylaw that – uh, thankfully they didn't use the language that you said in the beginning, but they used pretty strong language that says, we're not going to, as a member of this organization, you'll be held accountable if you do any of
0: these things. No, they're saying it's conduct unbecoming and, and, and and from a legal perspective, just let me say this Uh, harassment, sexual harassment and discrimination on all of these bases, except for gender and gender identity. And I don't think sexual orientation is in there yet are all covered. So that's what I'm doing. I'm 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 blue lining out all of the things that are already covered by federal law and then I'm leaving what's left. And what's left is condone bullying behavior of anyone based on their gender, gender identity or sexual orientation. The federal law already covered everything else in this range. That's why I'm saying that they're they're disguising it in good intentions. But what it really is is compelled speech or appropriation of speech. And that's the hill. I'm no way in this world that the members of ICMA's credentials should be held to ransom by the social justice warrior staff at ICMA. And I did speak with them for about 30 minutes. I want to say it was. And at the, about towards the end, they said, you're not recording this conversation, are you? And I said, well, yeah, Alabama's a one-party state, so is D.C. Um, I, I Anyway, I, I the, the gentleman that asked that he not be recorded, I did not use his voice. That was Mark Ott. And let me say this, Mark Ott, he, he's a very accomplished manager. Um, I think his last job was Austin, Texas, Reigns. And you've been there, obviously. Mm-hmm.
3: Nice yeah. place.
0: Really great town. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I, w- I did want to play you this one audio clip of, I bl- she's a staff member at ICMA and I don't want to mis- misquote her name. I just have to say to you that we adopted this in June, we've advertised to be publicized this, and you are the first individual to be knocking on our door saying
2: that you VMS vehemently opposed to,
0: and... Well, it's compelled speech
2: all over the U.S.
0: and internationally, who adopt similar language. Well so, I didn't want to get too much into it, but you get me? They, know, they haven't thought about this, and they haven't thought about the, so. So just follow me, Reigns. Let's say that you're an ICMA manager, and you go to your council, and you say, hey, guys, we got to come up with a policy so that nobody can bully anybody. And if Reigns comes in tomorrow and says, Harry, I want to be called, I, I'm having a gender identity crisis. And I don't want, and I want to be called by the pronoun, not he or she, but Zer in all internal and external communications. And I, as the manager, say, send out an email and say, everyone, please refer to Reigns as Zer from here on out, right? Except. This guy, Nick over here says, you ain't going to compel my speech. So then I fire him. So then what's Nick going to do? He's going to see the heck out of the the city. Well, he's going to fire the heck. He's going to see the heck out of the city. And rightly so you can't compel people's speech. You can have them conform through your personnel policies to certain guidelines. And okay. just like everything else, society will work this out. There, there's no way that we're gonna be in this same position 30 years ago. And you know who would have thought we'd had a black guy that was gonna be the city manager of Austin, Texas, in 2000? If you if I'd have told you that in 1960 on the streets of Austin, Texas, you would laughed in my face. This well, too, we we will we will figure this out, and it will be. A long gone memory, just like, um, well, not necessarily the civil rights movement, but but you know what I mean. I mean, oh God, I feel Harry, like we've moved no. we've moved past that to a certain no, we extent. We haven't.
1: We we haven't moved past that. That's a, a huge, glaring issue in this country to this day. Um, it's it's been in our lifetimes that we've only started to move past that. So. No, the civil rights movement is definitely alive and well and still
0: okay. a struggle. Okay, well, let, let me for, say it one more time so American. you can understand what I'm saying. There was an African-American man who was the city manager of of one of the historically uh, a terribly racist place, and you would agree that that is forward progress, would you not?
1: Uh, absolutely. Forward okay. progress for that particular circumstance. Right. Let, let me... Let me split this hair. You're talking about a private organization enforcing a uh, bylaw Correct. versus a municipality, a government organization enforcing that same bylaw. That's two different things.
0: Well, they're going to have to, Reigns. If they don't, and the complaints filed against the manager, he's going to lose his credentials. Do you understand what I'm saying here? They are going to have to come up with a policy.
1: I do understand that. But that is – that's the same as a member of the IBEW, the International Brotherhood of Electrical and Aerospace Workers, getting a DOD job and working for the U.S. government. And if he doesn't abide by the IBEW bylaws and gets kicked out of the union, that's his problem. But if he doesn't abide by federal laws, he's going to lose his job. It's a choice that you make. I agree. I don't agree with compelled speech in any way, shape, or form from the from the government. Not at any level. Absolutely not. Well, I'm a I'm a proud proponent of the First Amendment.
0: I want but everybody to be about nice an to each
1: other. I do too. I think it'd be fantastic. But I think that's a dream that this country can only aspire to. But correct as as far as a a organization putting in a law, I mean, I think the law, I think your bylaw could be worded better. I don't like to use the term bullying because there's, there's no real,
0: who defines that?
1: There's no real, the last people that you want to. Well, I mean, it, it, that's, that's always a victim's thing and it's, there's no real federal statutes on it. Uh, The Supreme court hasn't heard many bullying cases to where we don't have an opinion on that from the Supreme court. Uh, That kind of wording, I think, Goes away and it falls under what constitutes harassment. But again, you're talking about for a, a a private organization. I'm not going. I'm not a member of the ICMA. I'm never going to be a member of the ICMA. It's not something I do. So,
0: well, if some really, people have their way, I may need my credentials back.
1: <laughs> well, I can understand that. And when you say that, you know, you're the only person that's. No, I didn't say
0: it. I, they said I was the only person well, that's that, called up there asking about. That's it. what
1: I mean you're the only one that called and asked about it. I understand where you're coming from. I don't want compelled speech in government at all. The government doesn't get to tell me what words I can use. Period. That's the, the, the first amendment of the United States Constitution says that we that you cannot infringe my right to speak. But a private organization they can do whatever the hell they want. And that's
0: they sure now, can, can but use, the the local government is going to have to conform to this policy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. If they have an ICMA manager, they're going to have to come up with a policy to conform to this, or they can just say, "Hey, man, you need to give up that ICMA membership because, you know this this is a this is a bear."
1: We are living we are living in a, under a political climate right now that begs for social reform, and so there are a lot of issues on the table regarding discrimination from both sides, from all sides, actually. And as citizens, we've got to do our dead-level best to make sure that we're regulating that and not the government. So, so organizations the, the- like the ICMA take a stand and they say, this is what we want. Now, I agree that that, that bylaw is is vague and needs to be Refined, I would think an organization of that level would have a little better wording on something like that. But it's not an issue that's going to go away in ten years. So it's it's you know from a strategic vision point of view, they say let's throw something out there to just cover this in case it ever happens. I mean, it's a it's it's something that's not going to happen real often. So, so they want to have something out there that says, Hey, let's, as a professional organization, let's have this little CYA in there that makes us look like we're a lot nicer about these things than we really are.
0: So, I want to talk about preference falsification. And it's an economics term. Mm-hmm. And it means that you tell someone what they want to hear under certain social pressures. All right. Mm-hmm. So, you come over to my house and I say, Hey, man, we just renovated the place. Do you like it? And you're playing Brady Bunch music in your mind, but you say, oh, yeah, man, it's great. I'm thinking about doing the same thing, right? Preference con- uh, falsification. Professor Timar Karan, a professor of Islamic studies. I hope I didn't butcher his name. Professor of Islamic studies. This is, a, this is a trifecta right here. Islamic studies, political science, and economics at guess where?
1: Northwestern.
0: Duke. Duke University. And he has written a book called Private Truth, Public Lies, which outlines this preference falsification. So you remember how they told me that, oh, this has been vetted, and we we went to all the different uh, regional meetings, and everybody said grace over this? Well, just imagine, yeah. uh, imagine that you're the delegate from the state of Alabama, and they put this forward, and they say, what say you, Alabama. I, I, I'm just telling you, if I was the guy representing Alabama, I would definitely say, we're all for it. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, if I was from Minnesota, I might feel like I had a little bit of latitude to say, hey guys, this is, you see what I'm getting at? I mean, uh,
1: I guess I know this is a hill that you really want to die on, but you talked about this is an organization made up of the smartest people in City Hall. Right. This is not a group of idiots.
0: Well, but but let me and, but let me say this, okay? We've had one ICMA president from Alabama. Guess where he works. I have no idea. Mountain Brook. Because you okay. have to work for a pretty big organization with a lot of dang money. If you if you can be gone a month of the year to go be on the ICMA board and go to all the different events and that kind of thing. And it is a prestigious thing and I'm sure and the people of Mountain Brook should be proud that they had an ICMA manager. But I can just tell you, the manager and I'll just pick a little town, Brundage, Alabama. He's an ICMA member. He they could he can't be gone for two days. He's the busiest one arm paper hanger in Alabama. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. he's he's he, he doesn't have a large staff. They don't have a lot of money. Um, he's just as competent. But what I'm saying is these board members get in there with these staff members, and it's an echo chamber. And then when you put it to the full membership, even though people might think it's a bad idea, I think because of this concept of preference falsification, I don't think we're really getting at what the members think about it. And I can just tell you, I've talked to several members, and they were all kind of like, wow, man, I didn't even know about this. And I said, well, y'all might want to put your heads together and see what kind of a policy you can come up with to, to conform to it. Or, you know, the other alternative is you just surrender your membership and ICMA, which is a shame, because I want everybody to go through and read these, these tenants, not necessarily the guidelines, but the tenants, And it's things like... You should not become involved in politics, period. So if you go over that with your with the council that's uh, during your interview process, and you say, "Hey guys, I'm an May member, and here are the tenants that I'm going to live by while I'm in your employment, and do not ever ask me to violate any of them." So you know what? When election time comes around, the mayor doesn't say, "Hey, you're going to put my sign in your yard, right?" We've already headed all that stuff off of the pass, so we know that it's. Good, honest politicians looking for a technically proficient person to come in there and do and run the day-to-day operations. And why in you the world really say they good, want to good, honest take, politicians. I did. <laughs> there, they they exist. I've seen them. I thought about tranquilizing one and stuffing them, but I don't think they'd let me do that either.
1: You need to bring them to South Alabama.
0: We have well, there there are a lot of good. Um elected officials down here so that's my heel no compelled speech especially not through an organization that i was a member of and i know how important it is it is it is an extremely important organization and they used to focus on producing things like books like local government plays before they had the local government planning books for dummies but the ICMA Green Books, every professional manager in the 80s and 90s had a set of those books in their office, just like a lawyer had law books. And I I guess they, they're just doing all that online now, but that is not their primary focus anymore as far as I'm concerned. If they're, if they're tearing Wait. off into this, it's a, it's a slippery slope, and where does it end?
1: Well, I can tell you this. If you join... The Rotary Club of Kingwood, Texas, and you go and take the oath and ring the bell and say that you're going to be a proud Rotarian and support the Rotary Club and abide by the Rotary Club laws, you better be prepared to do that. And if they stand up to say the Pledge of Allegiance at the monthly pancake dinner and you take a knee, you better be prepared to deal with the consequences of that. And it's liable to be you're going to be kicked out of the Rotary Club of Kingwood, Texas. Now, on the other hand, my 10-year-old son attends Texas public schools in the Humble Independent School District, the largest district in the state, and I attended a class with him when he was in first grade, and they said, everyone, please rise and recite the Pledge of Allegiance, and we did that, and then they said, all right, will you also join me in a Pledge of Allegiance to the Texas flag? And I didn't. And one of his classmates asked, why didn't you pledge allegiance to the Texas flag? And I said, because I only pledge allegiance to one flag.
0: I can understand That's that. it.
1: And if my son chooses not to, he's going to not participate in the Texas flag pledge. Well, my son at 10 years old and now in fifth grade is already proving to be much smarter than I am. And he practices what you were just talking about. Whenever they say to say the Texas pledge, he go ahead and does it. But he knows that he has the right that he doesn't have to do that because the U.S. Constitution says he doesn't have to do that. And I fight for that. But in the same vein, I also fight the same rights of any individual to say, no, I'm not joining the Rotary Club of the Kingwood, Texas, because they make me say the pledge. And I don't feel like saying the pledge. To me, it's two
0: different things. Okay, Well, it's not. And let me explain why. A guy who's been a manager for 20 years in ICMA and who went through, through their credentialed manager program, which, which is extremely expensive, he values his membership. The ICMA code of ethics has all, always been a coat of armor that these managers could put on to protect them from p- politicians who wanted them to do something. They can say, listen, man, I'm not doing that. I'll lose my credentials and I'll never have a job again. Because ICMA is kind of like the state bar. If somebody makes a complaint against you, it's on your permanent record forever. So when you make application somewhere, they can call ICMA and say, "Hey, has Harry still ever had any, um, any dings?" And you know, I'm and they'll tell them. Well, yeah, he had seven complaints against him, and they were for this, 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 and this. Which I've never had any complaints, nor any bar complaints to date. Um, To date. To date. I've got a feeling a bunch of people that I've never heard of are going to start filing them against me. So I want to switch gears just for a minute. And I know that I already broke this news to you, but since Paul isn't here, we're going to talk about him for a minute. All right. So Paul Rip, our partner was in a Showtime documentary about Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. mysterious death of a businessman in Belize and, uh, the suspect of the investigation was a guy called John McAfee. If you're familiar yeah, McAfee with McAfee
1: virus protection. McAfee
0: yeah. virus protection from the 90s. That's right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, everybody should get on Showtime if you have uh, Amazon Prime or whatever. And uh, check out that documentary. Paul is uh, a small part, but as I understand it, he was the catalyst for that thing happening.
1: He is featured prominently, yeah.
0: And I can tell you that Reigns was in a porno. It's called the ginger with a heart of gold.
1: Oh no, it was I was only actually in, the, in part seven. Part seven. Uh, I was only in a, it was a cameo. Uh me and a, a couple of other big timers from that industry made small cameos in that and uh it was unpaid and I don't I don't put it on my resume, but it is a feather in my hat, albeit a long feather. So I but got rips is Paul Rips the, the smartest one all over. This man's a
0: he got the hell out of the state of after arms
1: that. And buddy, he knew in the retreat when we started taking on the sheriff of Baldwin County. I'm glad I'm over here in
0: Texas. He said, hey, and boys, he I'm going to be in North state. Carolina for a couple of weeks. Y'all. <laughs> I'm going to let this cool off. Y'all ash it out. <laughs> yep. um, so uh, just a few things, reigns uh, I want you to consider between now and the next time we get together. The sage of Marcus Aurelius. I'm sure you know what uh-huh. I'm talking about everybody Absolutely. else go everybody else go google it you'll be proud that you did um, honoring the dead and I just wanted to leave everybody with this thought it's one of the the most recognizable moments in Star Trek history when Spock says an ancestor of mine maintained that if you eliminate the impossible whatever remains however improbable must be the solution do you remember that it's like Star Trek 6, The Voyage Home. The original quote was from the Sherlock Holmes story, The Sign of Four, published in 1890, which reads, How often have I said to you, Watson, that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. So I think we'll leave it at that. Mr. Russian, if you would stay on the phone after we go off there, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. Everybody else, we'll see you (laughs) next time. Thank you.